Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. He didn't even, yeah. And I'm going to go on mute because Jason is a jackass. No, just chew it, baby, you right here on, you the, can't on say the mic. You can't say that you're going to pull out one of the hot jelly beans and say, don't record this yet. Well, I what mean, do you think I am? He didn't say anything. He just did it. Yeah, oh, right. God forbid I ask for any goddamn thing on this silly little program. Why, you have to <laughs> Okay, you can start recording you, now, Jason. And you have to tell <laughs> us about the flavor. It's okay. He's going to cut all this out because the chewing is premium content for our Patreon subscribers. You don't like get that what, shit for free. What's the profile going on with this jalapeno one? Yeah. Well, it tastes a like question. a jalapeno like the food and it has the consistency of a jelly bean where, the, where is this defensiveness coming from i feel like jelly the belly bean, variety the bean bit is something that you started to share in the joy of spicy beans with us and now when we ask about it it's like he's a diva about it it's like you no, don't get i can ask. read between the lines i'm just some kind of sick fucking joke to you people i'm just a little meme for your your entertainment it's not like we brought up the national yeah right well now you did uh, now, now did. i did if only uh, there we were recorded, some kind we record of... two uh, recording episodes in consecutive days is doing a number on my my well being, as you can tell. Yeah, you came Damn. in at ten. Wait, yeah. I, look it's it's a tough it's a tough game podcasting. You know, yeah. I don't think podcasters get enough credit for how tough and dedicated we are. You know, yeah. Well, yeah. well thankfully, really this would be a pretty relaxed episode. Thank you, Dan, yeah. well, yeah, and thank you as well. It's, You're it's one of brave. us. Thank it, you. It, listen, I'm not doing back to back recordings though. That's true. Do you guys remember when we used to do like two to one time we did three episodes in a single day back to back? Yeah, that was fucked up. That was, that's like pre-pandemic. That was just, we were like less burdened humans. We were just younger people back then. Cause I don't know if I could do that these days. I don't have the not. stuff in me anymore. I'm too old, broken down. Jason, how do you you'll feel get about it that? I mean, you'll get it again. I hear that Thank your you. 30s are like a second wind. Um, that's nice. That's Thank what I always you. hear I from people. I that. haven't felt it yet. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time, Dan. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it. It feels like it's been forever. You're going to be 39 and 358, 364 days, and you're going to say, I finally feel it. <laughs> Just I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, there it is. <laughs> The second wind. That's the one that Jason was talking about. Uh, <laughs> Jason's wind, they call it. Jason's wind. Uh, divine. Mm, I gotta go with that problematic association of the divine wind. Nice. Uh, See, I was you. just doing like a fart joke, but you want to do a deeply problematic kamikaze thing. Uh, we could go that direction as well. Yeah, it's anything I, goes, really. You know, uh, We're almost 200 episodes in. We got to get canceled for something, right? <laughs> I can't do this forever. You were just talking about how much it is. Are there to any Spanish doing? names in this in this episode? That could do it, too. I don't know if there's just any... Greek. We can okay. Mm. We can try to pronounce some word. I mean, or excuse me, Italian, Canadian. There's or some no. French in this the episode. No, it's Italian. If I, if yes. I remember correctly, yeah. there's some yeah. French. Panis is it, it, Canadian, it, but Italian descent. That 
he doesn't get a name like Panos Cosmatos and and deserve. He's he's not Italian. I'm I'm accepting him as as a Greek. If he has a name like that, two names that end in O S. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you take a shot at uh, at pronouncing the name of the horn that they blow in this? Uh, is it a Braxis? It, it is. Right. It is a Braxis. Yeah, it's a Braxis, right? I looked that up because I I think that word's super cool, which is like the it's whole great. point of it why is. they used it. And I was I like. The first thing I thought of was the Jesse Ventura movie, uh, <laughs> where there's a character in it named Abraxas. Abraxas, and, totally. Uh, and the, the first thing. I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I, no, I was surprised to find out that it <laughs> it's it has a lot of other uh, like meanings actual to it. Gnostic right. spirituality word, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it is funny I, how we flatten th- those things. I thought of that episode of Community where Jeff Winger gets mistaken as what's Thoraxis at that one convention. It's not Abraxis, but I just can't, couldn't uh-huh. stop him thinking about him going bow before Thoraxis. Pretty good. Um, and my brain autofilled to Abraxis because I, that's the only way that I can contextualize anything. Uh, well, we are all ready to talk uh, about movies. Um, this is, I, I don't know, guys, I'm not feeling the formal intro. Can we just say it's Try Love, Try Love Podcast? movies at the trilon people we've met there thank you very much for listening i'm not all right i'm jason you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus i'm cody narvison i exude a cosmic darkness and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore bh i have hallucinations you will never know i'm harry mackin and you can find me on twitter at shiitake harry ched dan goblin himself dan nagan is back behind the mic for one more episode hopefully absolutely not your last but uh tell us what you're about dan Oh man, they wronged you. Just you, you, you didn't, you didn't cue me up as the way that I thought you would. So that's, that's a big. I'm sorry, it's, it's a big, it's, big it's, minus there. We, it's we've, great we've, to be back, though. It, it is great to have you back, Dan. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you could. I was gonna look this up because uh, this is Cody's favorite app? bit of mine. I can't remember my ats. Um, I'm fairly it's certain. Steel books and me. social handles with you. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that my ad on Twitter, you can find me at a Dapper Dan man. Uh, well, it's wonderful to have you back, Dan. Um, welcome. Uh, I we we've sort of established a, a soft like try love after dark thing that goes on um, after we've like if it's nighttime after a movie, we're just we're free and and you know confident uh, and comfortable. This is not it's not dark out, but it's like almost dusk. It's August, so it's too early to say that it's dark uh but it is try love at dusk uh and that means i'm going to crack <gasps> open a mini oh you should have told me number 12 cider you have beverages on the other side I, of your microphone you can just go get one uh, I, I welcome That's a good i welcome point. all noise and nonsense in this episode as this is truly an unhinged uh, episode or it's destined to be a little bit of an unhinged episode about an unhinged film uh which in the absence of um our guiding light and cult leader aaron grossman i must summarize <clears throat> Thusly, uh, Mandy is a 2018 film directed by Panos Cosmatos. I'm hearing uh, rumors that he's actually Greek and he disguised his identity to enter the film industry because of the impressively anti-Greek bias in Hollywood. But that's just, I, I, you heard it here first, complete rumor. Do not have proof of that. Do not, uh, you know, uh, fact check that. Any journalists, um, don't listen to this. Uh, and starring Nicolas Cage, Andrea Riseborough, uh, Linus Roach, and man, I love that guy, and Bill Duke. Uh, oh, there we go. We've got one more on mic uh, can split. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The story goes that Mandy and Red live in a cabin in a remote, or, remote mountains. <clears throat> Try love at dusk. 
of, of California. Um, by chance, Mandy captures the attention of Jeremiah Sand, played again by Linus Roach, uh, a cult leader and folk musician who becomes obsessed with Mandy and enlists local sadomasochistic, sadomasochistic sect to kidnap her. Unable to save her, <clears throat> excuse me, Red embarks on a drug-fueled mission for cosmic vengeance against Roach. Sorry, not Roach, against Sand and the people who actually did the kidnapping. Um, who is Roach? Wait a minute. Who's Linus Roach? Roach? Linus Roach, the guy who plays oh, yeah, Jeremiah yeah. Okay, Sand. Got the it. I was getting he, my you beer. His, you see his whole dick and balls in this movie. It is wild. Mm-hmm. Multiple uh, times. Th- this, Great this stuff. Film, this film was well-reviewed at release. Uh, Aaron does this, so I feel like I have to do it. And it's remembered today, uh, just four years after its release, for trippy visuals, some methodic pacing, and Cage's classically unhinged performance. That is, I hope the last time I will use the term unhinged. It is overused, especially in the context of Nick Cage's filmography. This is the final film, I should say, in uh, the Nick Cage National Treasure series, The Plate of the Triline. I hope you got your cards filled out. I still have some backlogging to do, as I did watch these movies, did not get my cards signed. Um, John, don't listen to this. Hopefully I can get there before Tuesday, before this episode publishes, so I can defraud them one more time and get my card stamped uh and get that sick wonderful fuck beautiful absolute poster. piece of shit the only sick part of it is that i'm saying it on mic doing it everybody does it everybody does it um he's gonna cut this <laughs> i'm will i uh so dan you wanted to talk about this movie uh you claimed this almost as soon as the nick cage series was announced why i mean there's a couple of reasons it it is kind of wild thinking back because we as soon as i saw that announced i messaged you guys and immediately put my thumb down on this which you i did. imagine in hindsight probably wasn't necessary i don't imagine a lot you, of people you would be clamoring to get this there really were, did it I, was I everyone just of, like i can think of two people who were like i'd really like to do mandy but uh, but like fortunately yes, we managed to Kelly fit asked about it too yep. did she wow. really and i was like nah yeah. dan's got that one he, nah, he booked Dan's it seat. like back in fucking february or whatever it's <laughs> like <laughs> Linus Roach himself reached out and was like, "Hey guys, oh. <laughs> uh, you probably don't know who I am." I was like, "Hey, sorry, uh, this guy, this guy Dan, the and Cheddar Ched Dan Goblin himself, and he uh, had put his, his whole, thumb down. Where our, whole, our hands are tied. His whole penis I, if you would have told like, me, I would have been happy to share the mic with with the master with of brain. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> it really is something else. Uh, those parts of this movie, but um, what, you know, what's your exposure to Mandy? Uh, what 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 did you think of it back when, and how did it go down this time?" Sure. I mean, the the big reason why I wanted to choose this one is because it's it's a real intersection of two of my favorite things, like Nicolas Cage and horror movies. These are two things that I absolutely adore. And for a lot of people, they tend to write these things off. Both of them, they, they're pretty dismissive of the genre of horror, as well as Nicolas Cage. And so it's, it's like a perfect alignment of my interests. Mm-hmm. And when I first saw this, I... Coincidentally, I think that I I happened to be at the same screening as Cody at the Woodbury Alamo Draft House wow. when they they premiered this around the time of its release in like September 2018, and it completely rocked my world. Like I remember walking out on such a high. I think a lot of what the movie was ultimately doing was sort of lost on me at the time because it was such a sensory overload. Yeah. And it took a long time for me to really digest it. And this time around coming into it, I've now been in a relationship since about the time that I saw this movie. I think I met my now partner about a month after seeing this movie. And so watching this now, it's it's really, really wild to mm-hmm. witness and like experience the the way that the loss 
hits in it and it hits me a lot differently now. Hmm. And so it's, I don't know. I think that this is a beautiful movie. I think that what cage is doing is really remarkable. Yes, he is unhinged in it, but the first half of it, he does such a tender performance that is really, really remarkable that you don't see in a lot of other things. And so I don't know, like this, this is a breathtaking movie and coming back to it again, I was surprised by a lot of what was going on. Yeah, it is a fun movie to rewatch in retrospect of Cage's career since it, which has only been marked, I feel, by a few like notable performances or like notably acclaimed movies like he's been on the beat or whatever. But specifically, I'm thinking of like, so we covered um, the cider is already going to my head. The one that we covered with Abby. Uh, the one where he like he's basically a demon from hell who comes drive back. angry, drive, drive angry. angry. Yeah, it is basically drive angry by way of pig. <laughs> yeah, like it is. I it was is, thinking of pig a lot while watching. this. I, I know. And that was 20. That's maybe his next notable role after this one. Right. Right. Am, and, I, am I missing a movie or two between those that's two? What I'm but to I feel like. Yeah, I love him in Spider Verse, but I oh, he's fantastic in Spider Verse. Right, That's a right. great point. He's, I, he's doing call, a cartoonish yeah. thing in that, but it is a yeah. cartoon. But he's so good at right. it, though. It's great. Um, it it is like I just think about how it gets to that horror thing by way of a slow. Like I use the term methodical. I think a lot of people would consider this a very slowly, and I find it like obscenely paced movie in line, kind of with the plot. Where, well, we can go into that later. But um, how like the actual tools it uses to get to its sense of horror and like bizarre cosmic terror and et et cetera, et cetera. Just what you're seeing, what you're watching is it somehow feels like, like I was saying a midway point between the most outlandish things, some of the most outlandish things in Cage's career and some of the most oddly tender, like, like pig. Like I think we all saw and liked that movie. Okay. Where uh, he's like, a very simple setup sort of leads to him filling that bone with an incredible amount of like very tender emotional marrow, right? That you wouldn't expect in Mandy. It's kind of relegated to the first 45 minutes of the movie rather than like a through line. Um, I, I guess that's just like thoughts, but does that ring to anybody else that there's like, that there are threads here of Cage's performance that, uh, you know, maybe do or don't, on purpose or, uh, or, or by accident, just by omission that do or don't manage to like span the film. Yeah. I, I kind of like comparing this to pig because I think like we talked about at the time, so much of what the, what pig is about is purposefully subverting genre expectations. Like I think that, and and maybe this is just me, but I went into pig thinking it was going to be a John wick movie essentially. I think that it really sets you up to believe that, especially in the first act when he is being beaten by uh, the other chefs, when he has this sort of like underworld reputation. And that makes the sort of like cathartic, peaceful reconciliation that he ends up um, affecting by the end of the movie all the more impactful because it's unexpected. This is a revenge movie in a similar way, but I was really struck particularly on second rewatch Um, by how different this movie really is than its reputation would have you believe. Um, Even sort of like from a genre perspective, I I laughed because Jason, I think you read a review to this effect that I actually, I think it's a good point and a a point in this movie's favor that like everybody thinks of this as like the metal movie and it's not, it's the prog rock movie. And those are mm-hmm. very, very different movies, well, you right? Pointed like, out, you pointed out it starts with a King Crimson song. Yeah, with a, Crim- Crim- with a fucking awesome King Crimson yeah. song. And um, But 
the quote unquote plot of this movie, the John Wick of this movie happens an hour into this two hour movie. Fully Mm -hmm. the first hour of this movie is exploring the relationship and then seeing the relationship be taken away. And um, Jason, I know you have some issues with the pacing of this movie. I don't disagree. I think you could cut almost all of the cult stuff with Jeremiah Sands, except for when he interacts with Mandy and come away with a movie that is an hour and a half long and pretty much unaffected. Um, But I think that I tolerate that stuff a lot because I think that the beginning of this movie does such an incredible emotive job of suggesting both the connection that Mandy and Red share and the distance between them. Um, And I I think that both of those things are really important to keep in mind. And I think that, Dan, the tenderness you talk to, you speak to about Red and Nicolas Cage's performance, it comes from juggling those things so well, where without a lot of dialogue, you get this sense that Red both loves Mandy more than anything else that has ever been in his life, and that he is a little afraid of her, or not afraid of her, but feels that there is this unbridgeable distance between them where he can't really understand them. And that is Mm. almost entirely built on the performances. It's him looking at her drawings and being sort of transfixed by them, but a little bit disturbed or him watching her come out of the water with this expression on her face that he just cannot really see or figure out. Um, And looking like not pensive, isn't the right word, but even, or even suspicious, but a, a little bit like, um, worried, I guess, about her. The The first act of this movie, it feels like she knows something is coming for them and yes. he doesn't, yeah, right? I, I, was, I was going to, I was going to say because there are parallels to that throughout the movie, especially like the ending. I th- Just to clarify, yes. thing, is the ending shot the cover of the book that she was reading? Like, is it's, it planets aligned in the background or was I hallucinating? If it's not exactly, it's clearly meant to evoke that, right? Mm. Right. And, it's, and, it's very clearly set up to evoke that right. he has now kind of been fully consumed and taken away to, like, this to world, world that she right? was on. Mm. Right. I like that. Yeah. I mean, Cody, uh, what do you think about any of this? Anything and everything. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Um, Cody yeah, I... Uh, all at once. Um, yeah, I think the, I mean, this was uh, the other day was my second time watching this movie. The first time being that, that hollowed Eve, um, when Dan and I sat down, um, together, but separately to watch Mandy at the Alamo and like the, the vibe, I still think about the vibe of that evening because, um, assuming Dan and I have the same night, uh, in our heads, which I'm sure we've talked about before it was raining. And like from, from where I was at, like it's, you know, a 20, 25 minute drive out to, out to the theater. And so like my precursor for this is like, I'm expecting a sort of, uh, metal and, you know, my metal head trip, but afterwards I realized it's actually a prog rock head trip. They're very different things. Um, right. Um, and like being in an immersive space for that to to happen and for me to digest that as well as digest probably some other Alamo um, goodies and beverages. Um, it was like, was I th- probably the optimal way to go in compared to me, like sitting on my couch and watching it on Tubi uh, like the others. Like I felt myself getting a little more restless and that's not necessarily a, a point against the movie because I, I think for as like a skin and bones as 
like um you know, or you know you could discuss the the plot of this movie in you know uh, a sentence or two if you really wanted to and then mm-hmm. i think ultimately the big sort of you know what the uh, the main sort of takeaways that people might get from it have to do with like the sets and the cinematography and this is very much like a, a tale of two films and both of them are extremely um i, I shouldn't i won't say extremely like i think they are very necessary and complementary to one another you get the the tender and sensitive cage uh your character and performance and then like harry said like and i i notched this as well uh, on the runtime like an hour or hour one somewhere in there is when mm-hmm. he like goes into the bathroom and starts like his yeah. you know okay I hey actually, buckle up there yeah go ahead i actually paused the movie to check right because it does yeah. feel oh, yeah. like oh shit like okay part two it's it's you almost know? exactly halfway through the movie when <laughs> the transition happens and it's it's kind of wild up until that point nicholas cage isn't in that much of the movie correct he's it's bizarre he's, right it's it's really mandy's movie up until that point and then after that transition she still kind of hangs heavy over everything but that is when it's it it's really just a descent into the hell that red has yes. where kind of going back to what you were saying harry like there there's a, a a thing that i was thinking of watching this where it does feel like he's kind of put mandy up on a pedestal and almost like she is his world. And there's something almost like cautionary or dangerous about that. Like when you have someone that is your entire world and that is taken away, like what happens, the all consuming grief that you have. And it's, it's so crazy that I, I remember being so baffled and blown away in the theater when you, you watch him, hold the ashes of Mandy and she blows away. And that is so devastating. And then he walks into his house and you get greeted by Cheddar Goblin. The <laughs> most disturbing, crazy moment in the, like one of the most jarring things in the movie. And I remember mm-hmm. the whiplash that I felt when that happened and just laughing at it. But now it, it hits so differently where it's so horrifying, where it's just like, the harsh reality of world of of the world coming in like right i i imagine everyone to some extent has had like a loss in their life and there's like that transition moment when you come back to the world and just see oh the world's still going on it's still exactly the same way and it does not care about what you have lost yeah and Cheddar Goblin doesn't care. Cheddar Goblin doesn't care at all about what has happened to you. Cheddar Goblin cares about that mac and cheese. <laughs> uh, he like it is a very. Now that you bring it up that way, I love like the idea that this is just another. The whole movie is kind of like absurd shades and absurd like um, uh, representations or dealing with or ways that people deal with grief, right? Like he goes straight on a bender and murders like 10 people, right? Uh, in not cold blood, but, um, and that moment, the cheddar goblin moment, it's telling that like, that's not just on the screen in the background. It's something that he stopped, like he stops and lolly, like he just lolls at it for not LOLs, but like LOLL ing at it for a few seconds and actually repeats back the tagline, like, Cheddar Goblin back to the television. And it's like this obscene moment where it's like, this isn't, this isn't how you're supposed to react. And in that moment, I'm like, well, how, how the fuck would you react if you're, it's like, it's like flashing lights before a baby child, you know, like you're reduced to a certain mental state and that's where it's going to, that's like, what's going to take your attention. And that's what you're going to respond to is just whatever external stimulus in that state. Um, I think it is, 
it's really telling sort of to that same in that same vein how mandy you were saying like she her presence looms large over the entire movie dan and you're right not that not only just that like her name is the movie but or that we see her again and again but like it is his driving force it's the reason he's even doing these things um he doesn't talk about her much nobody really does uh by the time that we get to roach he's just begging for not roach sand he's just begging for his life um but like the the two ways that I was thinking about how she is like still present in the movie after that, the one, the two that stick with me are, I believe I forget at what point it is. If it's after he, uh, if it's after the bathroom scene where he just, uh, you know, knocks himself out with booze or when exactly it is, but he hallucinates that he's seeing somebody who kind of looks like Mandy in cartoon version, just rotting away slowly. And then it's like a quick jump cut to the next scene. And like, it is one hour and 15 minutes until the credits or excuse me, until the title card hits in this movie. And it's like, Oh yeah. Remember Mandy, Mandy as a, like in these various forms that he's uh, seeing uh, like sort of almost, I thought it was almost breaking the fourth wall where it's like Mandy, the, the, the plot device, Mandy, the character, Mandy, the, the forgotten, like, I don't know. It's just, I don't know that it's really like pointing toward one central message so much so much as it as it is just like this bizarre picture of a state of an emotional state uh but it like it gets a lot of mileage out of the imagery and like um concepts that 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 feeling conjures i guess yeah i think that this movie's representation of mandy herself is my favorite thing about it pretty by far um there's a lot there's a lot to talk about there i really love the cheddar goblin as sort of an entrance into this discussion because it really is sort of like it's also just the absurdity of a lack of dignity in your existence right like i i'll never forget like my at my grandpa's funeral there was a moment where we were trying to open up the uh, receptacle where we were going to store his urn for the rest of time. Right. And like, there was this woman, she was like the caretaker. She was filling in for somebody who had had the day off. So she was in a Viking sweater and she's like, we're all in like the, I'm in my nicest suit. We all are. And she's turning the crank and she can't get it going. And it's, it's like, literally like five degrees the wind is blowing at like 40 miles an hour we're all freezing our asses off and i'm watching this little old lady in a viking sweater just try to turn this crank and she's like she keeps looking over and she she like keeps saying to my family members most of whom are openly weeping like it just takes a lot of cranks it just takes a lot of cranks it really it really takes a long time to get going and it's like this sound and i'm like freezing my ass off my nipples are erect right i can feel them chafing and and we're all like and it literally we sit there and then finally we're just like you know uh i think we'll like we'll uh we'll wait and then she's like I, oh i got it and then it opens up right it like literally That's the but, worst thing that could happen honestly it's just, drop it like, and leave it and and that sort of like tension between the lives that we want to have and the lives that we always end up having is like really at the heart of this movie in in a lot of ways I think I think that like especially for Red Red is a character who sort of doesn't have an ideological defense against the world or like an emotive defense against the world he's running from it like he wants hmm. to he and and uh Mandy have already run away from the world um, as of the beginning of this movie, it's implied to escape from some aspect of both of their pasts. Mandy has an explicit traumatic history um, that sort of like becomes a part of why Red puts her up on a pedestal, right? Um, but 
Red even wants to move further away, right? Like he wants to retreat from the Crystal Lake because it's giving him nightmares he can't remember, quote unquote, right? Or he listens to the radio and he hears Reagan talking about the great spiritual awakening of America and he turns off the radio, right? It's like these are people who are trying to escape from what they have seen as this predominant and um, sort of like undignified um, – destructive narrative that is that is impossible to overcome right but mandy doesn't feel that way in my opinion like i honestly think that the starling story or mandy's sort of drawings or mandy's sort of life that she does she says she loves she likes it in her home her new home it's different from what red thinks it is right like red pities her he sees this all as sort of an escape from trauma that she can't overcome. I think Mandy has overcome her trauma and has made a world for herself, right? And I, I think that, like, that's the idea behind, like, even the Starling story where she sort of heroically runs from her dad when her dad wants her to kill his uh, Starling, when she cries, when she sees the deer, the novels that she reads, the world she sort of creates in her head. This is a person who has discovered an alternative narrative that is also real, that doesn't have to be what everyone else says it is, right? She doesn't have to be just a traumatized person. She can be this person, and Red can be this person to her. And I think that's what enables her to laugh at the cultist that comes for her. And I think that that sort of sets in motion the events of the um, story, right? And I, I think it really does. It all like sort of leans on this idea of sort of like, Grief and can you resist or rewrite the narratives that grief make you feel, right? Can you can you sort of like can you take the damage that's done to you and shape it into something that you can take agency over, right? Um there's a really interesting through line there, and I think Mandy's kind of at the heart of it. I think I would agree. I got it like uh I wanna because Cody had um, thoughts about like the two halves that this movie sort of takes. I want to know, what do you think that uh, Mandy's like her, I guess the way that Harry phrased, I, I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it, uh, that she's sort of made a world for herself that she like is very interested in, in roughly the occult in naturalism. She's talks about the planets and she's reading these sci-fi novels. Um, like what, what do you make of, like her interest in things that are not of this world as a, an element of character building. Do you have any thoughts around, around Mandy as a, as a character? Yeah, kind of. I mean, maybe, maybe not as much as, as extensive, but I mean, it's like, if we want to think of it crudely, uh, even if this is just like an entry point, like the first half is more or less Mandy's and the latter half of the film is more or less reds. And like, we're living in this world that they carved out for themselves. It's them, you know, wanting to, however you want to frame it, them escaping from like Reagan's America. And the fact that they exist in this like little crevice, this little corner of the world means that inevitably it will be like usurped and taken over at so at some point. And the film isn't particularly subtle about that idea, like, which is fine. This is our second film in a row that or our second recording in a row that is not like about a particularly like subtle film. And that's mm -hmm. like, that works in its favor for sure. Um, and then like, you know, we can, and actually the, um, Mandy's and Red's reaction to like grief or just like be like being faced with these like strange harsh truths like her like Mandy being presented with um with Linus Roach's character and then like finding and verbalizing 
the one the the thing that is absurd about this situation and um and saying out loud just like this song like you made it and it's about you and just like like you have that ever have that feeling where like something is like it, it you, you want to react instead of like crying or gasping like your reaction to something that is just completely shocking and devastating is just like you don't know what to do except just to fucking laugh and like that's it that's kind of exactly what she does and like that that as a sort of bookended handoff to to red and him reacting to cheddar goblin in the way that he did because like what what else is he gonna do like he's like the worst thing that could have happened again and probably inevitably happened um just you know again for being thematically heavy-handed and like yeah just like i'm gonna read the words cheddar goblin back to the television and like you know now Mandy's world without Mandy is just, you know, Red's world of finding salvation via, um, you know, devastation or, or depravity or, or however you want to contextualize it. But thinking about uh, movies the way I do, like I, I, the more we talk about it, the more I think about it, you know, I've floated this idea out here before, but you know, um, you know, Jaws is a movie of two halves. Willy Wonka is a movie of two halves. Uh, Mandy kind of fits that bill um, in a, like a little more loose of, of a way, but um, Mad Max Fury I don't know. Road I, is a movie of two halves. Hey, uh, it's also a movie about John, grief. John, we know you're listening. Um, program that we just four movies in the series of films that are effectively two halves. Um, and I'll let uh, Harry speak more to that or about something else because. <laughs> oh man, I, I don't think I have any two halves <laughs> movies in my head. Let me think. I really like Jaws as an example. It really because like it's another movie where um you the whole movie you think takes place on that boat and then every time you watch it you're like, "Oh shit, wait, that boat is the last half hour of like a 2-hour movie." Right? Uh great stuff. Man, what a good movie. Um Mandy. No, I'm just kidding. Um I, I, the thing that's so funny about Jeremiah Sands to me and and really good. I really like the way you characterize that Cody is that um, I mean, I think that his Reagan analogs are really, really clear in the idea that like Reagan was also this guy who like tried to make it in Hollywood, tried to be like a pop star and then sort of turned religious politician. Uh, Jeremiah Sand is more explicitly a cult leader. But hey, there's a reason why that Reagan radio station played earlier on. And the I think that the connective tissue there is that they're both dominance narratives, right? They are both people who are attempting to take their understanding of the world and its hierarchies and its systems and its values and impose them on the rest of the world by force. Jeremiah Sands is literally all about that, where he says like, oh, I talked to God and God told me that because I'm a part of creation, all of creation belongs to me. So I think the the thing he teaches his cultist is that um, the world is a dream and it's his dream and they're all living in it, Right. Um, and Mandy can reject that dream, and that's why she is such an existential threat to him. And by the end of the story, I would argue Red gets there too, except he's living in Mandy's dream, which is a really interesting sort of um, complication. I really love, uh, pursuant to this idea, the fact that Red always had the nightmares, but after Mandy dies, uh, he understands what they are. Like, they become Mandy guiding him. Um, mm -hmm. And by the end of the movie, it's like, you get the sense that he has found a way to like live on with Mandy, right? In this sort of like, again, alternative narrative way where it, where it's like you, there is the story of what happened on screen and there's the story about what happened to Red. And maybe in Red's story, he 
lives with Mandy again, right? Because finally he understands his partner the way that he never did before, or he feels he can understand the world the way she did. I even think Cheddar Goblin is like that, right? Like Cheddar Goblin is this sort of like grotesque exaggeration of capitalism. But I think it's him watching the screen and being like, oh, I get it. This is how Mandy sees commercials. Like she sees them huh. as this disgusting thing that is so over the top and ridiculous. Yeah, that Cheddar, um, Cheddar Goblin's like that mac and cheese looks pretty damn delicious. I, 30% I mean, more I, cheese I, than the leading competitor. 60%. Oh, excuse yeah, me. I'm you sorry. Fool. I was thinking <laughs> I, of diet Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> I would I would eat that shit straight off of his warty, greasy nose. That shit looks delicious. Just I wanted to to dive back to some something with Jeremiah Sand because what I find so fascinating about that character one is that originally it was rewritten for Nicolas Cage and then they just never wrote it back to be anything else and a lot is put into how high Nicolas Cage gets in this but Linus Roach does some insane moments himself and goes to some like real highs and lows and like the 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 range that he is putting into this character as well Mm -hmm. is really great and fun to watch and what i think is going on with his character it's it's so representative of just like pure male ego it is pure unfiltered male ego and he just represents how absurd and fragile that is how he tries to make everything in the world about himself in the moment that Mm -hmm. someone laughs at him and calls him into question he has to destroy that the moment that he he is like pleading and begging for his life and offering to do anything to save himself when red has his his head in his hands even offering to <laughs> suck his dick is just it's so absurd how he is so willing to deface himself and yeah. and just crawl in the mud to try and keep himself alive but at the same time he's still trying to act like he is grander than him right. like the the ping-ponging that he is doing in that moment is so absurd and it, it's it's i don't know i i find it really fascinating that is, I, didn't, I, really, I didn't i didn't recognize that moment at the beginning with reagan like i i completely forgot that from the first time yeah. watching it and it's so telling yeah to have that that little radio clip well, there. especially mm-hmm. the way it's character it's like it's not just he makes everything about him he has to find these like insane absurd rituals to sort of like yeah. yeah he has to mm-hmm. like he has to create these bespoke drugs and talk about like these uh all of this sort of like eldritch uh gnostic knowledge that he possesses that no one else has he has to have things like the horn of abraxas or the uh yes. what is it the fallen knife of the pale oh, or the i wrote this down this yeah. is the tainted blade of the pale knife Right. Pale Knight, straight from the Abyssal Lair. The Abyssal yeah. Lair. Right? It's like there's all this lore that he and his followers have come up with to sort of like create this hilarious ritual around his egotism. And I what I really love is that when he's trying to impose it, maybe in the most sinister part of the, the movie, um in terms of his ideology, uh He's talking to Mandy and his face is morphing into hers along with the um, the pink and blue light that, that plays over his face back and forth. And then we see that same light at the end of the movie when he's begging for his life. And it's like every time the light passes over him, he changes to a different rhetorical sort of like attempt where he's like, no, you can't hurt me. I'm, I'm untouchable. And then he's like, please don't hurt me. I'll suck your dick. And then he's like, no, I'm number one. And like, you should be bowing down to me. And then he's like... 
no, please God, please, you know? Um, and it's, it's really cool that like that callback to just like demonstrate how hypocritical not only he is, but also like all of the narratives that they have like set themselves up with. Um, there's a really cool thing where like they are laughing at those narratives, but at the same time, this movie is so self-serious. Right. And like, not, not, um, I think purposefully, and I, I think to great effect, but I'm just wondering about that, right? It's like, what do you think it means that um, that despite the fact that Jeremiah Sands is, is this obvious hypocrite and um, idiot, like the, the part of the world or this world as established is meant to be taken sort of like seriously and meant to be very metal and very sort of like, uh, what do you all think of that? That um, discrepancy, I guess. I mean, I think... I think it speaks like it was a great point you made, Dan, about how it's like he is uh, male ego personified, how he is like and Harry, your follow up that it's like justifying that with symbols and with stories and with all these things that like is I don't is it ever explicitly mentioned that he's like he is a cult leader within like Christianity, like following the christian god Vaguely. is that ever yeah he, he you see a lot of crosses yeah yeah you okay. see crosses and a lot of uh, christian imagery around okay just making sure because that to me speaks to very specifically like a very white anglo-saxon protestant mentality right where it's like we are not only uh are we ordained in the chosen people but like we also have a new version of the thing that everybody else had uh these all these abrahamic faiths that told them like that they were the uh you know, chosen people that they were like the the children of God. What we have is newer and better and like truer. Right. And that I think speaks to like the sort of, uh, the defense that he tries to pull up, uh, both like as when he's, uh, uh, exposing himself to Mandy and being humiliated and he sort of explodes in rage, uh, and near the end where he begs for his life after trying to explode for with rage and then explodes with rage after <laughs> begging for his life. I think it's just like, it is, a, a a portrait of that character to have that be like his, uh, the structure he puts around his basic, uh, fragile male egotism is, is like suburban Christianity, more or less the hippie dippy bullshit people, you know, this is said in 1983. So it's like the time of the hippie is waning, but nobody is really pulled together. Like, Oh, the hippies are the ones who voted for Reagan. But <laughs> The hippies were the ones who like co-opted these concepts of, uh, you know, communal, uh, support and being, uh, you know, basically communism for, for the aesthetic, for the cool music and stuff. So I think like his, uh, inherent, I'm trying to think of a better word than like uh, uh, poison, but like his inherent, like the rottenness of his faith comes through in him, in him being like, he was willing to flip flop every single time that it comes, that the chips are down uh, for that thing, uh, for his own, you know, sense of, of power and control. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, uh, prog rock. If you guys didn't have any more thoughts about, about uh, Linus Roach as Jeremiah Sand, is there, is there anything else rattling around your brain about that guy? Oh, I was just thinking how interesting it is that like, especially in the first act and, you know, I don't, I don't mean to play armchair director or anything, but like, I think we're supposed to be sort of red. He's like clearly our POV character here. And I think that all of the sort of, um, roiling tension and, um, and sort of like 
miasma of ill intent that is headed toward them like a storm, right? Like they keep talking about the being in the eye of the storm and the way that I think that we are meant to sort of think that Jeremiah Sands represents that. He is sort of the reckoning. And in the sort of like classical uh, eldritch sense, it's like, is there really, does this guy really have supernatural powers? Like, I think Hmm. it's pretty clear he doesn't. But the idea is like, are, are we meant to be sort of like so frightened of him the way he tries to frighten others that finally we understand that, oh, like the reason why the world looks so scary, the reason why, um, the movie is shot this way, right? The reason why Red looks like he lives in neon hell all of the time is because it really does belong to people like Jeremiah Sand. And then I really love that there's like a turn, right? Where like we realize eventually that, oh, like we had been living in Mandy's world all along. Like the reason why the world looks like that is because Mandy is sort of the god of it. You know what I mean? And I I think that it's really important to sort of like – I like the the subversive quality that comes with like all of these signs and signifiers, like the horn of Abraxas being debuted with like strobing green light or like the fact that when they drive up, there's just like this like red backlight behind them and stuff. It's meant to be like, okay, are these guys the people doing this? And then it's like, no, it's actually the perception of a different Hmm. person. You know what I mean? There's a really cool sort of transference of ownership or agency that takes place in this movie, just sort of like visually and and thematically or symbolically. I really like that you you brought up the the color themes that are going on in this, which is is something that I think when you walk away from this movie is one of the most prominent parts that is remembered is the color patterns that are at play and there is like at that at that first half, so much of it is kind of softer blues and kind of cosmic patterns. And every time that it cuts to Jeremiah Sand and the the cult, uh, Children of the New Dawn, I think they're called. They, it's almost like they're invading and pushing into the world of Red and Mandy. And the second half of the movie, so much of it is saturated in those same colors. And it's interesting to hear it. It sounds like Harry. It's almost like at the end, it ends up. Mandy, her world kind of takes back hold and is what they kind of end at, which isn't necessarily what I always walk away from it. A mm-hmm. lot of it, because so much of that end, it feels like he is just forever damning himself and he is just kind of throwing away his soul. And it's a, I've always viewed the end of this movie as a tragedy that he, he never comes back from this. He is subsumed by this grief and loss that he's experienced. He has that final moment of remembering Mandy and how they met. And then it's like this soft moment in the car. And then it cuts to him covered in blood. Yes, grinning like a corpse. Like he has like this rictus grin on his face and driving off into this imaginary world of Mandy. And I've always I've always taken that or read that as this is the end for him. Like he's, he's just as Hmm. gone as Mandy. The way that you describe that, it almost sounds like you're taking it differently. Oh, I mean, I, I read it exactly the same way, except in the inverse. It's like, I, I guess it's from, from reds. I think that literally what is happening is what you're describing. I just think for red, that's what he wants. (laughs) And I, I think that, that for him and, and for this narrative, like that is the, that is the, um, the triumph of this movie is that like now he is the new God of this world. 
because that of this world of Mandy's like he can finally inhabit it he can finally understand it in a way that he never did before and yeah I think we get left behind because it's like we're not there um and so there is a reading that like oh it's about this drugged up dude who lost his wife and went insane right and it's like but that is that's the alternative narrative now right the narrative that we got is that red finally like sort of came into himself and accepted his destiny and joined Mandy. There's that amazing shot, um, reverse shot, where in the the remembering Mandy, he looks over in his car and she appears to be driving in the driver's seat um, with him. And then when we cut back to him, he's at a bar. And then we cut back to Mandy and it's clearly when they met at the bar. Um, and then it, when we cut back to him, he's smiling back in the car covered in blood as if he actually still sees her there with him. And there really is, there's like this, in Red's mind, was she resurrected, right? Was she ever really dead at all, right? Or like, is she sort of like the god and master of his universe now, right? And I think that like, I think that there is an edge to it, right? It is sort of both tragedy and it's m- maybe by sort of like the... um the value system of their narratives, it's the, it's triumphant. What do you think about this, Jason? Now, I, it's interesting that you say that because I, when, uh, when Dan was talking about like this ending tragically and sort of like, obviously just for context, everybody remember when he is, he confronts sand in like the inner sanctum of the inner sanctum. And, uh, he's red starts to speak in an incredibly demonic voice, more or less like, like the LSD ridden sadomasochistic biker gang has been talking the entire time, but with a little bit more cohesiveness, I guess. And he asserts that I am your God. Now he squishes the guy's head and that's what a fucking rad shot. <laughs> that looks so good. The practical great dummy work. Great, incredible. great just dummy like head seeping. You don't get like the whole pumpkin squishing thing. It's just like, it makes you side sidebar. It makes you realize like if your head compressed like more than a quarter inch, you would just die. It is a terrifying thing to know that you do not need a car to run over it to die. You could just like have it pushed in a little. Anyway, um, it leaves me thinking, what does it say about if, if we're again, we're on this whole trippy dippy concept, uh, which I love that maybe we're in sort of Mandy's world that she was sort of prefiguring with her drawings and with her interest in the occult and with, uh, you know, her, her favorite planet being Jupiter and all the sci-fi she reads and stuff like the sort of world that she's built around herself and the sort of, sort of like idea that she sees the real world from the outside as like a bit of an outsider. If we are by the end of the film there, uh, there again, the final shot being like very reminiscent of the book that she's reading the cover of it. Uh, what does it say that red is then a demonic monstrous, a blood soaked killer at the end of it? It does it say anything about how Mandy viewed him. Does it say like now he, uh, like that he chose a certain pet, like Harry was putting that dichotomy before, uh, forth of uh, like that, the intimacy, their love and the distance that's between them sort of coexisting. Is it saying that like in choosing this path of violence in choosing vengeance over acceptance or moving on or whatever, because like he chooses to follow the gang, he chooses to follow the cult and murder them all. Is it saying that that choice has sort of damned him? Like Dan was saying that it's actually like he's in a worse place, even though it's Mandy's world. No, well, I mean, I, it it's about 
the reappropriation of the symbols, right? It's like in, in Mandy's world, being the devil is sick as fuck because she's a Black Sabbath fan. <laughs> no, I mean, like, literally, I no, think, I, I think I, this I like is that. it. I think that, like, by the end of it, it's like, yeah, Red has sort of assumed the form of the protagonist in one of Mandy's favorite sort of, like, sci-fi, hardcore Conan the Barbarian um As kind of a, a, a tiger. Like, he's got the yes. tiger shirt. He's yeah, he's the, the symbolic the tiger. And that allows him to bridge the distance. And I think that, like, his character arc is that he couldn't see himself the way that Mandy saw him before. He couldn't construct an alternative narrative that was strong enough to defeat or sort of, like, reappropriate the world, right? It was like he saw himself as damaged goods or something, right? Because that's what the world told him he was. And so he was just going to run away from the world. Now he says, I don't care how the world sees me. They can see me as the devil or whatever, but I know what the devil really is. And it's this badass dude who loves his wife and whose wife is that, like a god. He finds rocks. salvation being a wife guy is what I'm saying. And also like, <laughs> don't really I love that reading. Yeah. N- not, not for Hardcore nothing. wife guy. Hell yeah. Right. I think that like, I, you know, I mean, not to get too head assy about it, but, um, I think that this is really a Trump response movie. I, I think it's about people finding, uh, the strength to have alternative narratives that are in defiance of the predominant narrative that is supposed to be being um, enforced by okay, popular so, culture. So the way that I was seeing it, the fact that he is a demon by the end, the fact that he is a kill, that he's like the god of this really blood soaked, brutal world. The way that I was reading it was a very puritanical way, like, oh, that's bad. He should feel bad about that because that's the bad thing. But no, I think he should say, feel awesome. What you're saying it. is that like that's sick as fuck. That's the cover yeah. of a prog rock. Rock and like, roll me when album. I die. You know, like the 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 opening quote. Yeah. The opening quote. Yeah, that's a, that's a sick way to to think about it, and it it recontextualizes some of that ending. For sure, for sure, it makes me think uh, even differently about like the concept. I was I had this idea that I was bringing up earlier um, about prog rock. I was going to ask if anybody's like into it i've sort of listened to uh, you know a shallow end of it since i was a kid and found myself drawn to it and like the assertion of this movie as a prog rock movie as that one i think it was just a letterboxd review that i managed to like that harry saw um instead of like a a thrash metal or trash metal i guess the review uh called it is like there is something very uh like prog rock sounds the way it does weird and unpredictable and whatever, because it's trying to describe something that we can't like experience on, on earth or on this plane or so to speak. And I'm going to get really, really out there with it. But the idea that like all these tools that they use, uh, drugs and technology and instruments that they use to create this sound is like this. We're trying to describe a thing that cannot be described. That is not of our plane that like can live only inside of you, uh, because like we'll never actually get to see it we'll never see the 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 other dimension we'll never see like another planet with our own eyes kind of thing um and then i thought like wow that actually not to pat myself on the back that's like what the movie is saying about grief right like dan was saying at the very beginning it is just like this this very like the absurdity of the experience of grieving and and the cheddar goblin of it all is 
how do you even connote that with the sounds of like, no matter where you are on earth with the sound of any instrument, because every instrument, every voice is made to describe some version of life, some version of like human existence. And what Prague Rock tried to do from a very theoretical high level perspective is like describe something that you cannot experience. So in itself becoming a new experience, that's like, I'm, I'm, I'm out on a limb made of twine a mile out. Uh, you remember Don't that? say that. I I I feel I feel pretty good about the read, but anybody th- have any thoughts about around prog rock and this? Movie? I mean, I think it's really important that Mandy's an artist. She's a she's literally a traumatized artist, right? And Red literally is freaked out by and doesn't understand her drawings because they look so grotesque and scary to him at the beginning of this movie. Uh, and and she's like she's like your goth kid that you're freaked out by because she listens to fucking I don't know like whatever black Sabbath and stuff. And, um, you know, it's set in 1983. So it's like the satanic panic. Right. Um, and I think, I think that's exactly right. Uh, Jason, I think that like a way to read this movie is that like by the end of it, red understands how his wife or his, um, partner saw the world, right? Like he can finally see what she saw and Hmm. he can see that, maybe the way that we see it as like the scary thing, it actually was very life affirming to her because it was a version of the world that she could understand and that she had this triumphant place in. And now he does too. And it, it really re- reconfigures all of that symbolism of like Satanism versus Christianity and, and darkness, right? All of a sudden it's like, Oh, like prog rock is like my life affirming jam, right? Like it's, it's the version of the world that I'm a part of. And hmm. I think that he finally gets there. I, I I like that reading and interpretation and that that there's that moment in the the Senna biker gang headquarters where um, he takes a bit of their acid or the LSD and he he goes through that micro trip and that is almost like a moment of his world breaking down and kind of coming to a complete destruction for him to kind of rebuild himself. And it that could almost be seen as like that transition point where after that he comes through like the fire and flame and he has kind of rebuilt himself and can see the world as Mandy saw it. And Hmm. it it kind of took his world ending completely coming to a crushing end and getting blown away at like ashes with Hmm. what happened to Mandy and coming through that grief and and. fighting off all of these things and mm-hmm. that is where he kind of comes to at the end and he finds his way to seeing things as mandy did i i like that idea of uh red like we've talked about how he's not super present in the first rough half of the movie like he's nick cage is not he's seen in some of the softer scenes and he like exposed and stuff but i like the idea of using that uh format like not having him be super present and sort of not having him be the quote unquote the main character uh for the first bit of the film as like this is a person breaking not broken like he it's hinted at like a kind of not a not great past maybe between them and you know with himself but um like and then that breaking point is like dan says a complete destruction of like like it it, there is no repairing what's happened he is gone he is like uh he is he is finally like that is the breaking point for the character for the movie things just go wild from there and it's because there was some hope that like it would hold together the uh what is the 
what is the term that uh okay so death cab for cutie <laughs> death cab for cutie made an album called i think it's kintsugi that concept of like breaking a pot and putting the pieces back together and making it a new piece of art yeah with gold liqueur it's a japanese yes, thing yes. yeah yeah that, that concept like that can't happen now that the middle of this movie has happened because he has <laughs> indulged fully he has completely like accepted the uh yes like, but yeah i think that the point of this movie is breaking that that binary right like i think that we're meant to see red as somebody who pities and doesn't understand his wife at the beginning because in, in his mind he's like somebody this traumatized only lives in fear only lives in like this sad world. And that's what she means to depict with her stories about the starling or her scary drawings. By the end of this movie, we see that like there is transformation in grief and you can reach a different version of yourself that maybe is quote unquote dead. Maybe is like you can never return to the world that you were in because of course you can't. That's not what grief is, right? Grief is not something you get over, but it does make you into something else and maybe something better, right? Or maybe something just totally different. Maybe something that gives you new and more nuanced and empathetic understandings, like the one that Red reaches with his wife. I mean, it's callous to say this is a movie about a man coming to understand his wife because he's finally as um, traumatized as she is. Right. But like that is a base level reading of this movie, right? Like yeah. you pointed to. And, and I, I don't think I can read much on top of that. I think it starts well, I mean, to weaken I, if I do, yeah. I, I think that like the thing that, that makes it stronger is the idea that like I agree with you, but I don't think the movie sees this as a bad thing, right? Like I think that like the the version of reality that Red and Mandy are able to um reconstruct for themselves is seen as equal to and better than the reality that they had before when mm. they were on the run, right? Like okay. I think that this is this is about the need for grieving people to construct counter narratives, which is I, again where the big sort of like topical consideration um, comes from uh, yeah. for me in this movie. Okay, well, damn, we have really dug deep on this film so far. Uh, I I don't mean to cut anybody off. Um, are there any final thoughts we should get to before like? junk drawer type stuff, the fun one-offs and, and whatnot. Was there anything else, Dan, sort of knocking around your brain before we get there? Well, I'm just kind of curious to, to hear everyone's opinions on how, how effective did you find kind of the horror of this movie? Like, did you find it kind of like an effective delivery of it? Or like, hmm. uh, where, where would you rank this kind of as a, as a horror movie? Did it kind of do its job? Ooh. So to say, question. I think it is slow to set up. Um, for me to consider it like really quote unquote effective horror, because the horror that works on me is either the horror that never shows the monster or the horror that like shows him pretty often. Um, and in this movie, it's like, we've talked about how the first half is sort of a slow build to the thing. And like, even the, the, the inciting incident only happens an hour into the movie. Um, so but when I think about the things that do stick with me, it is the horrifying stuff. It is like the sort of vision of these uh, Sino bikers, which I know we've, we don't like to talk about what's in the chat, but you came up with that term, Dan, for like yes, I did. a, a yeah. combination of, of the Hellraiser, Sino, Cenobites, and these bikers. Incre Thank you so much, Dan, for being the best improv person we've had on this podcast yet. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I like the vision of those guys as, I like, like, I, I tweeted a gif of the guy who licks his teeth while he's like burning Mandy alive. And he's keeping like, he's got the rope that's holding her in her bag or whatever. Uh, I like that. Like how he just looks like a regular old, um, 
what's the bad guy from uh, Silence of the Lambs? Buffalo. He looks like a regular Buffalo Bill, like uh, country freakazoid, and like he just suddenly has a ten foot chainsaw, and it's like, oh, that manic person plus this incredibly dangerous device that's pretty horrifying i mean it's set up really cool as like a final showdown kind of thing but it's it's a little terrifying i would say because i'm i've decided i'm becoming a quantifier guy it's a 6.5 out of 10 on the horror scale but like a 10 out of 10 on the wow this is cool world building scale dang a quantifier guy that's i don't i don't know if the world's quite ready for for it in 2022 Um, baby Oh boy! Well, uh, uh, it's been around for almost uh, ten months. This one cider has say. really blown me away. Number twelve, Union Cider. Thank you. Uh, well, hey, uh, number twelve, Union Cider. Um, this is free ad space for for y'all. So we know you're listening. If you want to throw some money our way, that is something you could do. Um, yeah, no, real quick and dirty from me. Um, I wouldn't p- call Mandy like necessarily a, a well i don't know i could probably con- be convinced at, at, at surface uh level surface value i wouldn't call mandy a horror movie but i think the horror elements are really successful um the type of stuff that i typically find myself liking and gravitating towards are like the types of horrifying things that um uh exa- provide how do i want to say this illustrate like exaggerated caricatures um and like representations of other things which like the seno biker uh rather definitely are just like gross exaggerations of like gross people that um do exist in the world today just as they did in reagan's america and like i think that was a really um successful like motif and and means of framing and yeah the uh, creates a really like um, not like a wholly horrifying space, but those are, I think, pretty important like variables to consider within that world that um, that our favorite uh, uh, Greek director constructed. I'm hearing rumors that he's Greek. My favorite uh, Greek uh, director is John Cassavetes, but your mileage may vary. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm high high roading you. Uh, yeah, what, what were you what were you saying about getting canceled? I mean, that's the take right there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so be it. Uh, I think that the the best part of the horror stuff for me is that, um, and I, I hate to go back to the like theme well, but like I really love that when the turn happens at a certain point, Nicolas Cage is the character we're supposed to be afraid of <laughs> rather than anybody else, right? Like I really love that this is also, in addition to everything else it's doing, it's a movie about how the victim becomes the movie monster by the end. Like Red, literally he's covered in blood. He has these like bespoke weapons that are really scary and brutal. Uh, eventually he crushes a man's skull with God strength. Um, it's It's like, he's like, He's the predator by the end of this movie. Um, I really love I, I love setting up um, like horror tropes that way so that we can apply them to the main character so that all of a sudden we can understand something even better, right? And so like from that perspective, I think it's awesome that like the who the horror movie monster is shifts in this movie a couple of times, right? Yeah, I, I really like that. I mean, I agree with pretty much everything that everyone said. Like the the, I I wouldn't say that it's an out and out horror movie, but the horror elements that Panas is trying to convey are really effective. Mm-hmm. He really creates, he does a lot with the the audio 
in this like the and and a big shout out to Johan Johansson's soundtrack in this it, it, it does a lot of heavy lifting of creating that sense of dread yeah. during the first half of the movie and it, it's very unsettling at a lot of moments like especially that that sequence where uh, Jeremiah Sand and Mandy their face is slowly transitioning between the two of them and I remember the first time I watched this like only halfway through that did I realize that was, was what was going on and it's it's really like skin crawling once you notice that and yeah like what Harry said you watch this ordinary man become the monster he he modeled it after uh, Jason Voorhees, specifically Panos Cosmatos, gave Nicolas Cage uh, homework to watch Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, the one with the psychic girl, to Whoa. kind of get an understanding of where he wanted him to go with this character. And that is like exactly what happens. Like Jason becomes this unstoppable killing force where at the by the end of this movie, you don't have to wonder, is Red going to get his vengeance? Is he going to win in this? You know he's going to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and it the, kind the, of the... becomes that thrill ride of like watching a, a slasher creature kill everyone. Like to to the point that like to this movie's credit, the ostensible climax is like is such a um understatement, right? Like the dude basically just walks up to the church and kills a bunch of unarmed people. <laughs> like I yeah. two people, the- right? Like he pulls the dude out of the out of his van and kills him with the big spear, and then he goes inside the church and cracks the dude's head open. It's like that's it. There was no fighting. There was no sort of like, there was no climactic duel that happened earlier in the movie. Yeah, exactly. And the, the, you can't forget the moment of the the creep waxing his car and just getting an axe in the head. With, with Like, it's completely unceremonious. Like, he doesn't see it happen. Like, that is, that is straight up a Friday the 13th kill when that happens. It is. I think you're right, Dan, that even if I'm not sure about its effectiveness as a horror movie, the tools that it uses to get there, like I, I already mentioned earlier, like the way that it gets to horror is secure is circuitous. It's occasionally slow. It's more like uh, uh psychedelic than scary sort of, but it does get, it peaks there a few, a few times. Uh, and like, I think those times that it does, it really does work like there there's very little in the way of jump scares but there's just like exposure to the creepiness of the thing that i think really works like that final shot i didn't realize until the final shot of the movie where the car is sort of driving into the foreground and we pan up and they're like they're no longer in the shadow mountains they're in this like craggled weird again like it looks like the cover of a sci-fi novel and apologies for that uh but it it's like I was afraid of where they were at the end. It looks like they're on like some doom version of Mars by the end, uh, but it takes time to get there. You know, like it, it sort of in a weird way eases you into that transition. We've talked about so much about where this movie sort of pulls, uh, pulls off that, that transition from, um, you know, drama to uh, just, you know, high octane, like violence. Uh, and I think like the moment you notice is very, very abrupt, but like, looking at the two halves from where you started to where you ended it it's like more gradual it's like we're okay we you you can track its progress against like what the movie was showing you along the way um that i think because we're already over an hour should probably be where we open up the junk drawer which is where you get to even if it was just a funny line a cool shot something that really stuck with you one piece two piece um mine is and i don't know why this doesn't get referenced more often 
it feels like it comes from a different movie when when Nick Cage is, is fighting one of the biker gang and he says, you ripped my shirt in the funniest fucking way, like pulled out of context. I should have pulled it for this episode it has a sound effect because it's the funniest goddamn like it is really the the uh, drinking in the bathroom scene is the one that people will say is like, oh, that's Pete Cage or whatever. I think it's that one line where it's like, oh, he's he's H.I. McDonough again. He is like an, a, a, a spastic southerner who just cannot control himself and says this thing that just first thing that comes to his mind and gets angry because he's tripped on LSD. It rocks. I love that moment. I that was the moment I was going to bring up, too. I think it's like uh, and the moment where he um, goes into he meets his old friend who is Mac from the Predator and they get he gives him the weapons Bill Duke, and everything. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Bill Duke having no reason to be in this movie. Yeah. But, but I mean, he's a welcome I, presence. Yeah, it's, it's so, so funny. It's, it's so weird. And also like, did they need, I, I, there's this big exposition. It's like the second longest monologue in the movie about how like, Oh yeah. The reason why those guys look so fucked up is because of bad LSD. It's like, eh, I didn't need to know that. Like they could have just been weird, like fucking psycho bikers. It's yeah. fine. But it was really funny. I really love that. Like there is a very brief part of red's transformation where they're like very self-consciously referencing old Nicholas cage action hero performances. Right. Like particularly that scene when he is like tied up and, like kind of doing banter with the weird yeah, hell it's demon. Almost, it's almost funny all of a sudden. It, it's like yeah. all of a sudden for like one scene, he's like a quipping action hero. And then he takes LSD and he becomes a monster. <laughs> right. Uh, but, but like, I think that I, that's one of my favorite scenes just because I think that like, it's a, it's a subtle, but it's an important part of the transition. I feel. Um, and also my only other comment was that uh, I thought for sure, when you said that this movie is the prog rock movie, dot, 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 I thought, Jason, you were going to say, because it's about a half hour too long. <laughs> so, God, I'm sorry. I, I do think you know, it's... I, 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 I don't it's, fine, it's fine, I think it's fine. I think it's a little bit too long. I think it's a little yeah. bit too long. There's a lot that could be trimmed. There's a lot of fat on there's this one. Be, there's uh-huh. a lot of fat on this one. I don't think anybody would argue with that. I don't think anybody says, this movie is so long and that's great. I, I think we're all agreed. Uh, sorry to just turn off my mic like that. Cody and Dan, any junk drawer type thoughts? Anything just rattling around in there that's uh, not guided by a larger head assy idea like we've been bandying around the entire episode? Uh, Aaron Stewart on co-wrote the screenplay along with the director, Panos Cosmatos. Uh, he's a good Twitter follower. Um, he is. He really likes a good Twitter Genesis. follow. <gasps> Aaron yeah, Stewart on follows uh, you on Twitter, Cody. Did I just hear that? Is that breaking news? On I uh, corrected myself before you jumped into that joke. Really? Um, um, so <laughs> got your ass. Um, no, he's a good Twitter follow. And I don't know if you share the sensibilities. Um, if you're listening to this and share the sensibilities of the people who've been doing the yammering for the last hour plus, um, I don't know. Maybe I think he does some like comic book writing. So, and uh, he, yeah, he talks about anime every so often. Um, every once in a while he'll retweet like, some like Michelle Yu action film that's finally getting like a physical media release or something like that. I've, I've definitely found a, a good couple of sweet nugs just from following him. So um, yeah, that is uh, not, not, not drunk drawer, maybe like, you know, top drawer, you know, the drawer you save for, for like the really good stuff, but for that's, silverware. that's my, t- my, my top drawers are my top drawers are silverware and like uh, my exacto knife. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You got an exacto knife, huh? Ched Dan, uh, aside from the Cheddar Goblin uh, experience of the five minutes where he's watching a commercial, <laughs> I'm assuming that's one of your high points. 
I mean, that is a that is a series serious high point right there following into the the one shot in the bathroom of him having a full on freak out and mm-hmm. breakdown. Both are are tremendous. But my favorite moment is where I drew the the quote from up top is uh, with the chemist and the, the tiger getting uncaged. But just the the line reading of, oh, man, they wronged you. <laughs> is something that I think about frequently. I just have that that reading echoing in my head, and it's 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 a great sequence, and it's it's unsettling, and it shows just kind of where he's sunk into, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, oh, it doesn't really tie into a lot of other things. Like it, it kind of is just there <laughs> as a connective thread to be like, oh, this is how he finds the children. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that I should mention is uh, Richard Brake as the chemist. Richard Brake. Uh, yes, thank you. I couldn't find his name. That's okay. I, um, I love the way that dude's head is shaped. You know what I mean? It's like you can see every ridge of his skull in there. He looks so badass he looks like a white walker the casting director really popped off with this one uh yeah Mm -hmm. i I agree that scene uh not to extend the junk drawer too much but like that scene is where some of the manic energy of this movie really comes into play for me because like everything else so much wild happens in this movie the 10 foot chainsaw and the he mints like or he uh forges a beautiful like dwarven axe just in his backyard like there's some real wild shit that happens in this movie i cannot stress enough but that scene is where like all sorts to come to like a really like dan said it's just connected tissue as a scene but like beautifully formic or excuse me beautiful beautiful in form where like the lighting as it approaches uh red from the chemist's desk is like boop, 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 and the music play and there's like uh like audio notes i don't know if johansson did also the sound design for this movie but like whoever did really nailed that because it's a very like spine tinglingly uh fourth wall breaking experience to see that happen and like the tiger that's just set free from its cage um the chemist is not wearing any clothes underneath or i guess not wearing any shirt underneath of his like it's just a very evocative weirdly evocative scene for that like this is not what the rest of the movie has looked like or felt like and it's distinct for that it's almost like they said he needs like the writers must have said he needs to know where to find the next step in his journey. Uh, but we can't think of any, any good reason that he should need that. Let's just make this scene memorable, <laughs> like visual and have some weird shit happen. That's going to yeah. like stick with viewers. I, I really like that scene. It also showcases the, the final transformation of red. Right. And like, right. even from a plot perspective, it's vague, but the chemist had been an ally of the children of the new dawn, right? He was supplying them with the drugs that Jeremiah was using to brainwash his followers. Uh, the chemist takes one look at red and he's like, Oh, I was wrong about this. You are the God of this world, not Jeremiah. Like you are the warrior hmm. descended from whatever the storm and come to set things. Right. So like, I'm going to tell you where they are. You don't have to like, that could have been a torture sequence, right? It could have been like, tell me where they are. And then like, they subvert that immediately by the chemist just being like, oh shit, like this is the tiger. I'm setting the tiger free. I'm getting the hell out of Dodge. I'm telling you everything you want to know because this is clearly what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) So yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a really rad scene. It's again, like, I think that maybe it's because this movie was low budget, but I really love that like so much of this movie ends up being an understated thing, surprisingly, right? It's like you think it's going to be like this wild action movie, and there are some like there are some interesting action sequences, but this is not 
what the action scenes are not what this movie is about, right? It's much more a horror movie than it is an action movie in yeah. a lot of ways. You're um, right about that. And I, I think that's really cool. I do too. Well, I think we're all agreed. It's a cool movie. It's got its merits. Uh, it is worth a rewatch. I, I don't know how I would have felt about it if I had rewatched it anything less than four years apart, just because I've had more time to soak in cage and do that. Like the last time I watched this movie, guys, I'm going to feel old. I was not doing this podcast. I wasn't really watching movies with intent to like pay attention to movies. So uh, just as a growing learning experience, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, here is where I think we need to transition to our final segment of the show. And Dan, you've done this before. I think you remember how it goes, right? Of course. Okay. Then Harry, I think you need to count us in. Yes, I would love to. We are starting the segment called <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Holy buckets. Thank you, gentlemen. That introduction was a meditative visual feast. Um, this week we'll be <laughs> indulging in the game show sensation that is sweeping the nation called Mandy, Shandy, or Candy. Okay, 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 do... okay, 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 wait, 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 wait. You're not going to let me fucking explain? No, 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 because I, I want to call my shot here. I Before we start... Like, oh, okay, how, tell me what you think is... this might be. Hours before we started recording, I thought this might have something to do with Mandy Patinkin. <laughs> Does this have anything to do with Mandy Patinkin? It's. I have a guess as well about what this might be. Okay, Dan, you wager your guess. We'll see who's closer. Is this a trivia of guessing uh, movies with Mandy Moore, John Candy, or I, I can't remember the last name, but <laughs> Shandy. Um... <laughs> Shandy, uh, I don't know, Gary Shandling. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, that might that might have been better. Um, okay, we're shooting shots, Harry. Do you have anything to shoot, or, or God forbid, can we proceed? I mean, is it a brands? Is it like a a type of drink that is a shandy or a candy or a all right all right what i'm gonna do is alternate between the three of you in the randomly selected order of harry jason dan uh and then on a loop until we're done um until we're, we've we've finished every there will be three rounds so each of you will get three questions and one at a time one at a time i will present a thing and you make the determination of if that thing is tethered to a movie starring someone named mandy if it is the name of a shandy or if it is a type of candy um wasn't trying to trick you. <laughs> I will find ways to trick myself. We we really overthought this. Uh, me watching upstream color. Uh, if you're correct, Gosh. you'll get a point. Uh, uh, that's probably an okay movie. Uh, if you're correct, you'll get a point, and the person with the most points at the end will win. As always, Trivia Mafia rules apply here, so use your noodles, not your Googles. Don't try and find out which Andy word is that it that the thing fits in the category of just, you know, stick to the noties. Uh, With that, let's jump in. We're going to start with Harry. Harry, your first thing is hopping frogs, hopping frogs. Is that a Mandy, a Shandy or a candy? I mean, I would think it's a Shandy. The hop probably refers to hops, right? So I'm just, I'm not going to overthink it because I've seen the dangers of doing that. And I'm just going to go with my first guess, which is Shandy. Uh, Shandy, and that is indeed correct. See, yeah, the, the dangers of overthinking is that uh, we'll, we'll it, the episode of the podcast will be longer than the movie itself. Um, Ouch. I, 
I, I mean, well, I don't think this will fit that category. I had Paris, Texas flashbacks um, earlier as I was, I was preparing for Dan to be like, all right, buckle up fellas. We're going to, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about this for three hours and then I'd be ready at the, at, at the, it was like, uh, I don't know. Our Paris, Texas episode is pretty long. I, I will let you know, I came in and I have about 10 pages of notes that I have not read from. <laughs> so I, I was prepared to make this the longest episode. <laughs> All right, so remain buckled in, folks. Um, but Harry did get that point. Uh, there are a few different flavors of this shandy available, most likely in the state of Ohio, because from what I can tell, this beverage comes to us from Ohio. So that is something. Shout out to our Ohio listeners. Um, Jason, we'll pivot to you next for your first thing, and that thing is Toe of Satan. Toe of Satan. Is that uh, Mandy, Shandy, or Candy? I'm going to say it's a candy. I imagine if you cut off Satan's toad, kind of look like a little niblet, uh, an edible thing. I'm going to say, I'm going to say a candy. And it's got to be hot. Going... It's got to be hot as hell, right? I, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Are you, are, are you doing an uncut gems? Like bet I'm where doubling you, you got to, yeah. got to get all the things right. Um, <laughs> It's, it's just going to be one point. You're going to get it because it is a candy. Uh, this is reportedly a lollipop that is incredibly, extremely spicy, and it is also vaguely in the shape of a toe. So all you foot fellas out there, that is something for you, perhaps. Um, Dan, let's scoot on over to you. Your thing is swinging finkles. Swinging finkles. Is that a Mandy, Shandy, or Candy, Dandy? Uh, I'm going to go... With no thought, um, that's a Mandy. That sounds like a Mandy Patinkin film. Uh, uh, oh, another uncut gems approach, which I will not let you uh, make use of. Um, it is indeed a Mandy. Mandy Moore Mandy is Moore. The, the Mandy in question. Um, so, hey, audience, up to you if if Dan um, gets that point in your in, 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 within your souls, um, you know, in your heart of hearts. Uh, I'm going to give him the point this here. From me. <laughs> I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give him the point because I, I love seeing a, a three for three perfect round. Uh, the movie is Swinging with the Finkles. It's a 2011 release. If I remember correctly, Martin Freeman is the co-lead, but it's about a suburban couple who decides to spice up their lives by swinging with another couple. And I don't know what actors play those, um, but Mandy is assuredly the only Mandy in the main cast. Wow. Um, so shout out to the Finkles. Keep on swinging. Uh, first round. Is in the books. Everybody is tied um, at one point uh, a piece. Still very much anybody's game. Um, we got two more rounds to go. Uh, we're back to Harry. Harry, Christie's Gold is your thing. Christie's Gold. Is that uh, Mandy, Shandy, or Candy? That's a candy. Harry is going with Candy, and it is not. It is a Shandy. It is a shandy. Uh, this brewer, evidently, uh, tough to find exact information. It seems like it's, it may have changed hands um, at various points in Change the last handies. several years. But if if uh, ha, 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 ha. Uh, but if this beer is still active um, and, and in circulation, it appears it might be getting brewed out of Africa. But do not take that as gospel. Um, you know, but, I should yeah. have got that one. I thought I had literally had this candy. Do you guys remember the like gold nugget candy that they used to sell at Blockbuster? Uh, I remember the candy. It wasn't a blockbuster, but I do remember it. it came in like a little burlap yeah, a little, sack. A little burlap sack. Like it was like a gum. prospector. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was gum. I thought that might've been what this was, but Damn. I was mm-hmm. incorrect. Well, for at least within the scope of that question, it sounds like you were maybe thinking of fool's gold. Fool. Uh, 
this this uh, mf relies yeah. on personal experience rather than inductive reasoning to come to conclusions about the world around him make fun of him uh i am this mf uh jason your second thing is as follows <clears throat> follies follies Ma- mandy shandy or candy uh no thought i'm gonna go mandy jason is going mandy it is indeed mandy mandy patinkin oh. assuming i said the name correctly uh f- the film in question is follies in concert from 1986 it's a backstage documentary film that includes footage from the legendary 1985 concert performance of steven sondheim's classic musical um i only know what some of those words mean that movie is not on my radar at all but hey if, if some of that sounds like something you would like maybe watch it or don't i don't was that was care. that part of um six by sondheim the hbo thing anyway go ahead uh, my, 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 uh, finger on the trigger, knee jerk reaction answer to that question is maybe a firm, maybe poo poo. Therefore I can't be wrong. Hmm. Um, Dan, your second thing is as follows. McCoy's McCoy's um, Ma- Mandy, Shandy or candy candy. Dandy is going the candy route. Um, unfortunately, McCoy's is a, is a shandy or was. Um, uh, this is apparently a discontinued beverage, so pour one out literally for the homies. But McCoy's Ginger Shandy uh, once upon a time came to us from the state of Missouri, um, which loves company from what I've heard. Uh, we've completed mm-hmm. the second round. Uh, the score as it stands, Jason is sitting atop the leaderboard with two points. Uh, Dan and Harry in hot pursuit with one point apiece. Anything can happen. Literally anything can happen in this last round. Anything that you could possibly imagine. Let's see if um, Harry or Dan goes on a a, a rampage um, to you know reach their own respective version of Nirvana um, and do with that sentiment what you will. Harry, your final thing is sour flush. Sour flush. Mandy, Shandy, or Candy? Oh man, this is a tough one. Um. I guess I'll go with Shandy. Harry is going with Shandy. Bum, 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 bum. That's the who wants to be a millionaire. Like, it's, a, it, it's candy. Uh, it's candy. Sour flush. Candy toilets are a candy. They are real. They're apparently available on the market, and they operate. Um, uh, first, you lick one of the candy plungers, which is a lollipop. Uh, and then you dip it into the toilet to mix it with the sour sugar that's on the inside. That's really, really uh, good. And then you enjoy. Yeah. So it sounds um, great. Coming soon to the Tri Love Shop. I don't, I don't know what, <laughs> what the fuck you want from us, uh, you, you animals. Um, but yeah, the, the regrettably not a shandy. I bet it would. I, man, a sour flesh shandy. Not gonna lie to you, that sounds pretty fucking good. It sounds um, but considerably it, it, better than the candy, in my defense. <laughs> hey. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, so that's that's where that lies, Jason. We're we're to you for your last thing, which is damn lemon, damn lemon, Mandy, Shandy, or candy. This one is a shandy. Jason is going the shandy route, and just to reiterate the stakes, um, Jason is going for three for three, uh, in ensuring. I was going to say his share of the lead, but this would, um, I guess, further solidify his lead if he gets this right. And it is indeed a shandy. Uh, Damn Lemon 6-4 comes to us from Spain. Um, he has popped off 
Um, so that's uh, so Jason ran the gauntlet, went three for three. There's still, however, another um, you know victory of the soul that needs to be considered, and that is this last question, which goes to Dan, who can secure second place, um, which is kind of like first place. Well, except we'll it's see. Like it's a, still a anyone's game. Yeah, it's still. Um, hey, uh, I've, I've got my, I've got my fingers crossed behind my back, but it's anyone's still very game. much anybody's game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dan, your last thing is candied violets. Candied violets. Mandy, Shandy, or Candy? Uh, I think that this is a trick. A trick that you're trying to play. It's another Mandy. Dan is going with Mandy. Uh, it's a candy. They're exactly as their name implies. Sorry, Dan. He got you again <laughs> with the overthinking. Damn it. You got me. You got <laughs> twice me. in a row. <laughs> Curses. Uh, oh, you made this candy, and it was just—it's a candied version of your own head. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, anyways, hey, thank you for playing Mandy Shandy. Oh, hang on, Final wait, scores. Wait, what's that? What? 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 What's what? that? What? I see a, I see a block in the road up ahead. It, <gasps> it, it seems like we can't name the final thing. It's time for a Dan detour. Oh, we're, shit. we're going into bonus question territory. I have questions for oh, you. fuck. Holy oh, shit, this has never this happened is, this before. This is how he secures the longest episode. I see what This is how I do it. This shit. The big grade move. Okay, how does this work, Dan? I got a couple of questions for all of you. God. We're going to go around, and each of you are going to give a guess as to uh, the number corresponding to my question. And Price is Right rules, closest one will win. Uh, first, first question from Dan's Detour... Nicolas Cage has starred in over a hundred movies. Of those movies, how many of them are horror movies? We're gonna we're gonna start with Harry. Damn, that's a really good question. Um, let's do. Can, uh, uh, can I can I ask can I ask what coding system we're going by for the? Is it letterbox genre tags or is it some other means? Mm, I use letterbox to gather this, but letterbox has. Um, a duplicate entry, so I'm not following it exactly. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair I'm going to go with um, Unlucky 13. Let's do 13 of those movies. All I'm right, just, Jason. I'm just going to say it's going to be complete bullshit if somebody else wins this after I worked so hard to play <laughs> a perfect game of Cody's Noties. Almost never done that. Uh, I'm going to say... I feel like I don't hear about a whole lot of Nicolas Cage like explicitly horror movies, so I'm going to say it's a small percentage. I'm going to say 10 films. And for the first time, Cody, what is your guess? My guess, I'm going to go with seven. Lucky number seven. Well, Jason is closest in guess. He's got nine. He has a 10th one that is in production right now, Renfield. So, so time if you really want to get technical, right. Jason yeah. is is like right on the money. Well, and, and you said price is right rules, which means, are, are we going by if they go uh, no, over? No, this, this, uh, this is my price is right rules. Um, <laughs> it was just closest. closest, closest <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Whatever means tough, Cody doesn't win. <laughs> See, I, hey, tough I, but fair. I'll lay down. I'll take it. That's fine by me. <laughs> So, next question on Dan's Detour. Trilove has had a hun- over 100 episodes. How many episodes have covered horror movies? Ooh. Harry, you're up first. Like, not very many. 
Uh, man, I want to think about. Oh, uh, we're counting the horrorthon as a single episode, right? Even though we covered five horror movies in that Absolutely episode. Absolutely not. They are all individually counted in okay, this. Okay, I'm glad I asked. Okay, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, I'm going to do a mm, eleven. Eleven of the. Uh, I'm doing thirteen again. Fuck it. Thirteen's mm. my number, and I'm snicking with it. That's the a one. Bold move, Jason. Where where are you landing on this one? Hmm. Um, are we considering like combined genre films? If it if it has horror in the descriptor, it counts as a horror movie. Yes. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gonna say nine. And Cody. Uh, With the chance to steal the steal the the victory from Dan's detour, what what are you thinking? Um, I'll I know this is not like the the Aaron Grossman patented sexy thing to do, but I'm going to split the difference and go eleven. Wow, Harry wins by default. Y'all have covered thirty three horror movies. What the what? what? No, we didn't. You've covered a lot in the early run of this. I was shocked as I went wow. through these episodes. I'm I guess Wanda did... is kind of a horror film. I mean, I... This is going off of Letterboxd. I put all okay. of the movies right. in there. I filtered by genre. 33 horror. That's I was wild. I, there was some that I forgot that you did. Like you did well, Alien and Aliens. You yeah. did Friday the 13th. You did yep. Event Horizon. Oh, like, I forgot we did oh, Aliens too. You have Jesus. a lot in the early run that See, falls thought, in there. I thought 13, like right. I was digging deep. And I like, I remembered Alien and Aliens and Friday the 13th mm-hmm. and Haosu and all of our horror And I was like, oh yeah, like we've done a fair number. I'll say yeah. something like 13, but mm-hmm. 33 is fucking wild. It is I pretty no nice. idea. I, I, would, I would be fair. I, I I forgot about possession. I forgot about Black Christmas. Black Christmas. Uh, in my head, we've only done a hundred episodes instead yeah, of close to two hundred. Almost so two hundred. <laughs> wow, that is not incredibly done, Dan. That is yeah. Thank very, you. Very very good. Us. Gotcha. Final um, question, please. On Dan's detour of your hundred and I think now eighty nine episodes, how many Nicolas Cage movies have you covered? Harry. Man, we done a lot of those motherfuckers. Uh, 18. I'm going to go with 18. Interesting guess. Jason, um, how many Nicolas Cage movies have been covered? Hmm. Going to go with nine again. <laughs> Uh, are we including the episode recording right now? I I actually didn't do that, but um, I will. I'll amend my my answer. Did that change your answer, this. Harry? No, that can only help me. I think. Okay, I'm gonna say I'm gonna still say nine. Sticking to my guns. And Cody, uh, eleven. Ride or die, baby. <laughs> Have we, we really go. done that? Uh, you know, I'll, down, I'll let Dan say the answer. Go down okay. in flames. You've done eight. You have covered eight oh! Cage movies. I did not count yes. re-released episodes in that. Yes. So no, yeah, actually, come yeah. back to yeah, lucky number right. seven. Fuck. Yeah. Yes. Fuck! Uh, so fuck! somehow clinching it, even with the detour, Jason takes the win. Here God I am. And, and Cody comes in last. <laughs> 
Because he's small sample size, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, look, he, he's... I haven't stretched the no- I haven't stretched the participant muscles in a while. He Listen. hasn't been on this side of the notebook before. He's always been on the the DM side of the notebook. I'm, I'm still now gonna know how good it. Now you know how good it feels to be the orchestrator and not, uh, you know, in, well, Dan on does. stage and not play. Well, yeah, great, that's yeah. that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Dan is just a pig and shit over there. Oh my god, this this was exactly as satisfying <laughs> as I thought it would be when I thought of doing this. That was so much fun. Uh, it has, God, what a what a delight, what a nice left turn surprise delight, a dandy tour. <laughs> Uh, and a dandy guest too. Thank you so much, Dan, for being on this episode about Mandy and for bringing a, a little bit more light to the end of this long episode for us. Uh, yeah, thank you all for having me. This was this was awesome. Anytime, just let us know where can people find you. Where do you want them to point to uh, in the show notes and verbally here? Sure, you can find me online most places by my handle Adapter Dan Man. However, a lot of people also like the movie um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, and they have taken that from me. So. You may also find me just by looking for Dan Dangan. Um, And you can also find my podcast, Everything We Learned, on most podcast listening services. Uh, Cody has been on talking about uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. And most likely, Jason, Harry, and Aaron in the future will be guests on said podcast. Just tap my shoulder, big guy. I'll be there. Uh, Thank you so much for for joining again for our fun little podcast. Uh, We don't have anything like the cohesion that yours seems to have. But hey, we got 189 episodes with this one. Bank them, baby. Um, thank you so much, Dan, for being on. Uh, this has been an episode about Mandy. Go check it out. It's on Tubi. I watched it there um, because I wasn't able to make it to the Trilon. It was playing at the Trilon. I own this movie. Yeah, there you fucking go. Uh, <laughs> I you just can, watched my own copy. You can own this movie too, listener. Uh, check it out uh, wherever you can. Uh, and go to the Trilon more often than you do. If you don't already, go to Trilon.org to see if there's anything you want to see there. Uh, keep an eye on this feed where try love it's a podcast about movies we see there uh for fun guests and cool series we've got uh disney cracking up the disney vault coming forth uh and some obviously probably some off programming stuff that we'll be covering i haven't really strategized beyond the nick cage thing but we'll have a round table about that just like we had a round table about this movie uh but have a round table with yourself and go to i don't know go to twitter.com slash uh nintendoofus to find me jason i make uh uh part of this podcast thank you <laughs> that was me driving away from dan's detour but rest assured dear listeners i'll be back with a vengeance um you may I've find Cody- yourself on this road again <laughs> yeah toot toot. uh i've been cody narvis and you can find me on twitter at a mapper man dan I sure hope we find ourselves on Dan Detour again. That was so much fun. Thank you, Dan. Um, and listeners to this would really probably love um, everything we learned. So definitely listen to that podcast, too. It rocks. I can't wait to be on it. Um, I've been Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Well, see you later. Later.